Bibles there, keep them open to 1 Corinthians 10 with me. And I'm going to start out with the last verse of our text today because it starts with the word therefore. So we'll take a look at that. Um, I may, you know when you get old you have problems seeing? So if you don't mind, I'm going to. See what happens is I'm getting shorter. Stephen's taller, so he raised this up. So now I can't see. <laughs> so I'm going to have, you're going to be a little blurry to me, but if you don't mind, I think I'll be able to see a lot better with these glasses, so I'll look a little different to you. 1 Corinthians 10.14. 10.14, that's uh, not a verse that uh, many of us have memorized. We have 10.31, right? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You like that verse? I, 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 love, I love that verse, and I'm familiar with it. Uh, I can eat all the donuts I want, as long as I do it to the glory of God. My wife is shaking her head no. She disagrees maybe with the donut part, but she agrees with the theology part, right? You, you do agree with that, right? And many of us have memorized 10.13, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful, amen? He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can stand, you can stand under, stand up under it. Amen. Good verse. Good verse, right? However, I guess how many have memorized that very simple verse, the next verse, 1014. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. So do you have that memorized? You know what? I think that's going to bother me. You may have to put up with my bad reading. Oh, there you are, Doug. Hi, Doug. <laughs> Good to see you this morning. Everything was blurry. I think I'd get a headache preaching with those glasses, so I'll, I'll, try, I'll try these here. See, Stephen raised this up, and that's what throws me off a little bit. But that verse, therefore, my dear friends, flee idolatry. So I think if there was any message that the evangelical church had to hear today, in addition to the very gospel of Jesus Christ, would be that. My dear friends... Flee from idolatry. I know many of us would think, I'm not an idolater. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, we'll see. We'll see how important um, this, this verse is. So how about we memorize that, okay? Can everybody say that with me? Don't look down. All right? You're cheating. Don't cheat. All right? Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Okay, one more time. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. See, you just memorized a verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. 10, 14. So um, maybe we'll remember that. So knowing that we're well taught here at ABC from Pastor Stephen, you know that when we read the word therefore, what do we do? We ask, what is, what's it there for, right? What's it there for, which then says we need to look back in the text. So we're going to go back to chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, and follow as I read. And we'll, we'll go back and see what this is there for, because it's, it's really following a, a, whole, uh, a whole lot of information here. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Amazing statement, amazing statement for pastors to to read, but not just pastors, that has to do with with all of us. This disqualification is a springboard into the next verse, chapter 10, um, verse 1, which in most versions, except the ESV, have the word for or moreover. I don't know why the ESV eliminates that, that word, because it's in the original text, and it's very important because what follows is extremely important. It's a warning, and it's connected directly to the effectiveness of our service and our future rewards. So it's like four, okay? We, we don't, we don't want to miss that, um, so just, just a note here um, before we proceed in the text. Paul's writing to believers in this, in this passage, so he's not speaking of the believer's eternal destiny. He's speaking of rewards and effectiveness um, for service. Follow as I read 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now in verse 6, we see that Paul uses the nation of Israel as an example. Israel had been delivered from Egypt. Uh, They passed through the sea, uh, the cloud, the Shekinah glory that guided them. And then as we read this passage, we see that it was the Spirit of Christ accompanying them that supernaturally sustained them in all things, whether it was food, protection, uh, it gave them everything they needed. So the source of their provision was Christ. However, we have to realize this doesn't mean that they were all true believers. Definitely there, some were believers, saved by faith, just as Abraham was, but just because all experience these physical blessings, which many people do among Christians. They, they experience physical blessings. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you, you will experience a, a, a spiritual blessing just by being here. And our prayer is, of course, that you would repent and believe the gospel and come to Christ. But they were experiencing all these physical blessings, um, and, and we see that here. So what did these things have to do with the Corinthian church, or more importantly, I guess, with us, as, as uh, Paul writes here, and I would say everything, because though Christ had supplied everything they needed, everything the Corinthians needed to live a holy and dedicated and fruitful Christian life, um, as he has for us today, we see that the church in Corinth was basically a mess. And we see that, uh, you know, those great words in, 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 I think, 1 Thessalonians, where we see the Thessalonian church is a model church. He actually uses those words. Wouldn't use that word for the Corinthian church. It wasn't a model church. Actually, it was a, a letter um, reprimanding them and, and pointing out that there were many, many evils going on within that church that needed to be uh, corrected. There were divisions. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And we see kind of the state when he's just starting out here. He starts out in chapter 1, he says, you guys, okay, you're believers, obviously, I would say that here. I don't know if you're all believers, 
but you're here today at church, so I speak to believers, all right? And that's many of the, the epistles we see that. They're writing to believers. Of course, they realize there are unbelievers uh, among them. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. You are still worldly or fleshly or in the flesh, maybe your translation says. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? (laughs) Really, uh, you're not acting like who you are in Christ. You're acting like who you were before you were in Christ. And obviously, that's that's not not good. They were proud. We see this uh, right here. Um, Sexual immorality. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 5, commentary on our day, by the way. Isn't isn't scripture so contemporary? It's so contemporary. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and that kind is not tolerated even among the pagans. Man has his father's wife, and you are proud, or you're arrogant about this. They were proud of their acceptance of sinful behavior. We drive through the Adirondacks, Faith and I, when we take rides, and we drive through really New England. We love New Hampshire. We go through Vermont and all up through that area. And I would say almost without exception, almost every church, you will see a gay pride flag hanging. Actually, in Saranac Lake, or not Saranac Lake, Keene Valley, Keene Valley, right up here, as you go up towards Lake Placid, uh, there's a church there with a, it isn't even a, you know, a, a gay pride flag, it's a gay trans flag out. Walk through New York City. I know when last time we, not the last time, time before that we went to New York City, we walked past a number of churches, churches with uh, all of that out. The, the, um, we're proud. The Corinthian church was proud that they accepted this. It's okay. You know, everybody is welcome. Well, I welcome everyone here, (laughs) Uh, but you know what? I welcome you to hear the gospel and repent of sin. We're not going to put a sign out there that says, we're proud that we are sinners. No, (laughs) we rejoice that we are redeemed by the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Amen. See, that's, that's something. I'm not proud. How could I have any pride? I didn't do anything. (laughs) Thanks, Frank. Good to see you. No, I didn't do anything. It's all a work of Christ. To be proud of our sin, and yet this was, this was going on. Look at, look at chapter 7, verses 15 through 18. Chapter 7. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it is written that two shall become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, flee sexual immorality. This is the, the state of the Corinthian church, if you could imagine this. Pastor Stephen's standing here and he says, I just want you guys to stop frequenting the prostitutes. That's what was going on. That's what, that's what Paul was telling the Corinthian church. That's what he had to tell him. I think probably more appropriately, knowing Pastor Stephen, he'd be ready, very ready to say, all of you flee from sexual immorality and stop going to pornographic sites. 
Now, I'm not saying all of you do that. I'm just saying I think Pastor Stephen would say that to all of us. And that's a warning. I remember when I was at a John Piper conference and John Piper stood up and he said statistically, he looked out, pastor's conference, 2,000 pastors there. He looked out and said statistically 25% of you, one in four of you, are in a pornographic site every week. 25%. 50% of you have visited one in the last month. This was five, six years ago. So, what we see here is the Corinthian church. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He's saying, you need to stop this. Right? You need to flee this. Lawsuits were among the believers. Look at chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have completely, you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Need I go further in 1 Corinthians to see that the Corinthian church had many problems with sin. So Paul takes them back to what was written regarding the history of Israel, the nation of Israel, and God's provision for them. Look at chapter 10 now. Verses 5 and 6. All the blessings, I read verses 1 through 4, all the blessings they had, God's provision, and yet, what do we see? Verses 5, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Again, verses 9 through 11. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the fulfillment of the ages come. So much for those pastors out there that are saying we don't need the Old Testament. Amen? (laughs) This is where you learn about God's character. This is where you learn about his wrath. This is how you learn how he, he treats sin. And, of course, we have the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. <laughs> what would we do? How would we, how would we live? I don't know how I'd live without really um, grasping, hanging on to that wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness we have in Christ. But we see that here. We see um, the Old Testament gives us this. He comes right out and he says this. These are written as examples. So go back and read them. Read that history. Know what happened to to the Israelites. Read the book of Numbers. I remember hearing one very prominent speaker at Camp of the Woods once, and uh, you know, I love the speakers at camp, but I just remember saying, why would you read the book of Numbers? Well, let me tell you, read the book of Numbers. Read about Phinehas. Read about how when he saw sin happening, he took a spear and he drove it through the man and the woman. You don't need a whole lot of imagination there, do you? And you know what? He's one of the only men, other than Abraham, in the whole scripture that it is written, and this was reckoned unto him as righteousness. Amazing, isn't it? Phinehas, good name. Name your kid Phinehas. Anybody, those of you guys out there, great, great name, Phinehas. Call him Finn. We had a little, little guy here for a while. His name was Finn, right? So what was happening is they set their hearts on anything other than the Lord. And I say that because his list, he starts his list here with verse 7. Verse 7, he says, do not be idolaters. Isn't it interesting? He goes through these sins. 
lawsuits among brothers, sexual sins, all these sins. He says, don't be idolaters. Stop being idolaters. Just stop it, as some of them were. One writer says, anything that takes our first loyalty and allegiance is an idol. What is it yours? What's your first loyalty and allegiance? Is it your children? Oh, you don't think children can become idols? (laughs) Oh, I've watched it. Children are idols. People will disobey the Lord in his instruction with children because that child is an idol. Grandchildren, how about us old guys? How about us older guys, (laughs) great-grandchildren? Yeah, be careful. Not just children, many things. Whatever takes, takes your devotion. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's something you just love to do. And that doesn't say, God has given us all things to enjoy. Don't get me wrong, I'm not putting you on a guilt trip here. I just want you to think and look. What consumes you? Is it the Lord? Is it his joy? Is it his word, his fellowship, his other believers? Or is it your career or your marriage or that guy or that woman you're looking at and you can't wait to get married or whatever the case may be? He starts out, do not be idolaters. And then in 14, verse 14, he ends it with, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. It must be real. It was manifesting itself in the Corinthian church and all of these things. He says, don't be an idolater and then flee it. So in other words, I can just say, okay, I won't be an idolater. But then he tells us, there's something you need to do. This is in the, in the imperative. This is this, we got to do something here. In the power of Christ, in the power of the Spirit of God who lives in us, we can flee idolatry. I can do all things through the Spirit of Christ who lives in me. Amen? That isn't all things. I can't leap high buildings and outrun a speeding bullet. I can do all things that Christ has commanded me to do through the power of Christ living in me through the spirit of Christ who indwells me I can do all things he commands me to do so can I flee idolatry can I flee sexual immorality how many times have I heard young men say I just can't do it that is an offense to God if you're a believer because what you're saying is the Holy Spirit in me is unable to Give me victory over this sin. And I say, absolutely not. So he says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 7. And got up to indulge in pagan rivalry. Revelry. Um, the ESV uses the word play there. They got up to play. Paul takes them back to the golden calf incident in Exodus uh, 32 here, where the people disobeyed and became anxious, not waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. So they convinced Aaron to make them an idol. You remember that? Um, And Aaron's words, you know, I just put all the stuff in there and out popped this idol. (laughs) I don't think so. And then they sacrificed to it. And as we read in Exodus 32, verse 6, you don't have to go over there. So the next day, the people rose up early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Rose up to play. Most expositors believe that this was a mixing of their normal sacrifices to the Lord with pagan uh, worship of idols. They didn't get up to play pickleball. They didn't get up to play golf. 
Many of us did that yesterday. Well, we tried. You know, they got up to indulge in an orgy. That's what was happening. That was what was going on. To play, MacArthur's note says, is a euphemism for gross sexual immorality or just a big orgy. They wanted a golden calf, their food to drink, and their fun rather than the Lord God. Is that convicting to any of us in addition to me? cost them 3,000, the lives of 3,000 of their leaders. And 20,000 died as a result of the plague. You think God's serious about this? That's why you need to read these Old Testament accounts. You get the New Testament picture referring to these. You need to read these. You need to see how God will stand firm and in and, and these. I, I, get, I get scared. If he ever did some of these things today, and I think he does in different ways that we don't, we know his wrath is being revealed to us today. But, uh, I mean, this is, this is some scary stuff. Another, another example in verse 10, which I found very interesting, he says, and do not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Isn't it interesting? You find it interesting at all that you find grumbling in the midst of all this? like, don't grumble. Well, that food wasn't really good. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Pastor Stephen isn't here, and I had to listen to Ed. (laughs) Do we grumble? Be careful. The Israelites grumbled at God's provision. You You know what they did? I mean, it's amazing. Numbers 21, 5 and 6. You don't have to go over there. I'll read it to you. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? We could, we could say that today. Why, Lord, why have you saved me? Right? Same, same idea. To die in the desert. There was no bread. There was no water. And we detest this miserable food. That was manna. That was the Lord's provision for them for years. Sounded like tasted pretty good. Tasted like honey. I love honey. You like honey? Put honey on everything. Tastes like honey and bread, something like that. Right? I know, 40 years of that might get a little old. <laughs> but it says they detest it. We detest this food. Number 16, they were complaining about the actions God took about against Korah. In his rebellion and his followers, they organized an opposition against the authority God had established with Moses and Aaron. This resulted in 14,000 people dying of a plague. It's dangerous to rebel against the authority God has placed in your life. I'm not saying it's just sin. I'm saying it's dangerous. I just, I've been dealing over the past couple of weeks with a pastor on the phone that one of their young men is just saying, I, need, I, sh- I should be an elder. I should be an elder. I'm qualified, qualified, and started to even uh, start some division within the church. And he was heartbroken and, and just, uh, you know, just saddened. And yet, I know this young man, and he would stand there and say, I am absolutely in belief in the sovereignty of God. He would believe the doctrines of grace. He would say, yes, I stand firm on those. And yet... He didn't believe in God's sovereign hand and putting the authority over him that God did. Be careful. 
God placed Pastor Stephen here. By his grace, by his sovereign design. And I know all of us rejoice at that. Amen? I mean, I do. All the time. And Mary. And Becca. And the kids. <laughs> what, a, what a blessing. What a blessing. God's sovereign hand brought Pastor Stephen and Mary and his, from, of all places. Let me see if I say it right. Tennessee. Did I say that right? Yeah, not really. They're, they're going, I'd say Tennessee. They say, somehow they say Tennessee. It's like, a, I don't know. Anyway. He brought it from Tennessee to us here. Pastor Stephen has an earned doctorate. That's not easy. I don't. I don't have anything earned. <laughs> don't be, be very careful, folks. God has placed this authority. Look at what he did. <laughs> Sent venomous snakes. <laughs> Better watch out. You know, we have snakes in the Adirondacks. Right? How did God respond to this complaining? Verse 6 uh, in, in this Numbers chapter, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So, see, we, we see it's very dangerous. Complaining against God is very, very dangerous. So, um, when we truly worship God, we submit to the authorities that God has placed in our life. And that is in marriage, that is at work, that is in the church, and that is the government. That is the government. God, you think God's not in control? You think God was asleep when Joe Biden got elected? I mean, it seems like it, but he, no, he wasn't, okay? <laughs> he wasn't asleep. We are getting exactly what this nation deserves. And God is doing something. I'm telling you, he's doing something. And you know what? Everything he does is good. It's good, and it's for his glory. We are seeing people. I was just reading an article. We're out at University of Auburn. I think they had a mass baptism. 200 students right there on campus came to Christ and were baptized. The Lord's working through, through this. Don't get discouraged. Pray. Pray that the Lord will get a hold of these, these hearts of, of these people. Submit to authority he's established. You know, when we worship ourselves, we want to take God's place and make his decisions, thinking our decisions are better. And this is just another form of idolatry. I think I know. I think I know what I... I think I know. I think I should be a, a woman. God made me a man, but I think I should be a woman. Idolatry. God made me a woman. I think I should be a man. That's idolatry. I'm not too sure what I am. That's idolatry. That's all it is. It all goes back to displacing God from his throne and putting me on the throne and saying, I know better. And it starts to even look ridiculous when you see our ideas fleshing out, doesn't it? I mean, it starts, you start to go... Are these people crazy? No, they're not crazy. And they need the Lord. We need to pray for them. We need to love them. Love them to Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12, we read this warning. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written for our instruction 
on whom the end of the ages has come. It's us, church, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. There's a good warning. Be careful. Don't say, I'm, just, I'm strong enough. I don't have to worry about this. I'm not an idolater. Be very, very careful. 21st century church, the church of our day, needs to hear these words. I'm sure many of the Corinthians were thinking, we're secure in Christ. They were, many of them were in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. We're not idolaters. We never do such things as the Israelites did. I think one could make the case that with all the blessings poured out on the Corinthian church, that their idolatry would have been worse than the Israelites' idolatry we're reading about. Because they had the Spirit of God. They had all the spiritual blessings in Christ. And yet, we see this. So Paul gives both them and us He gives us an encouragement, and he gives us a commandment in the next two verses. The encouragement. Some of your life verses, some of you love this verse, right? The encouragement. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Do you believe that? Other people aren't tempted like I am. Eat that donut. (laughs) That's an easy one. No. No temptation has overtaken you. Any temptation that you're dealing with is common. It's common to man. People won't admit it. (laughs) But it's common. God is faithful. Aren't those wonderful words? Even if I'm unfaithful, who's faithful? God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, These are Christians he's talking about. He's talking to unsaved people here. And say people have no ability. <laughs> they have self-determination, right? I, uh, I have a good, good character. I'm self-disciplined. No. Believers will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may, may be able to endure under it. You can endure under that temptation. Many of you have dealt with there are things and you have had been given great victory over many temptations. Amen? Amen. And as you grow in Christ, some of these things maybe aren't as tempting as they used to be. But be careful where you stand lest you fall. The Lord can sneak up on you real fast. Not the Lord. The Lord is there. Satan can sneak up on you really fast. And that temptation... You need to stand, stand firm. So we see that the Lord gives us. Um, so there's no, no such thing as I can't stop it. All right? Yes. Because the believer has the spirit of Christ living in him. He can do all things. As we have seen here, another commandment. So we have an encouragement and we have a commandment. What's the commandment? Usually we don't, we stop reading at 13, right? In your Bible, there's probably a paragraph change there, right? In the NIV, there's actually a section. They actually have a new title. And it starts with therefore. Just keep reading that. Disregard those sometimes. Just keep, keep reading through, right? So he says that you may be, may be able to endure under it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You see, he's given you a way out. 
He's given you everything you need to leave. Now, what do you need to do? Run for your life. And I literally mean that. Because it may be your life. You run, flee, flee from idolatry. As we have seen, the word therefore refers back to the previous text which ties all this teaching, all these sinful practices of the Israelites and the Corinthians to the issue of idolatry. They're all tied into the issue of idolatry. When it said idolatry lies at the heart of all besetting sins. I, I couldn't agree with that more. So until we examine how we use our freedoms in Christ, whether they're being used to worship our Lord and Savior or whether they're being used to worship ourself, we will not fully comprehend this sin of idolatry. And we need to examine ourselves and see what is it. What, what, are the, what are the things that motivate me? What are the things I devote my life to? What is most important? Many times there, they can be very Little things that really aren't sinful themselves, but when we make them, when we make them an idol, they become sin, and they lead us into all kinds of sin. But then we read, we read, um, but God is faithful. <laughs> God is faithful. It's great words, right? He always provides a way of escape. And I believe that way of escape is primarily the indwelling Holy Spirit. Yeah, there are ways you could, you could go through. There's always a door over here or a way or a person or something. I think basically for the believer, it's, it's the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because we're told in Galatians 5.16, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the sinful desires of the flesh, right? If we walk by the Spirit, if we are filled with the Spirit, that is yielding to the Spirit of God. When we have that Bible intake, which we're doing in our men's Bible study on Friday mornings, we're looking at the spiritual disciplines, Don Whitney's book, and we're talking about spiritual intake and how important that intake is every day. My food, if I don't eat through the day, I get weak. If I don't have that spiritual intake through the day, I get weak, and I can't. I, I have a struggle with this temptation. Take that Bible intake in every day. Spend time in prayer. So we see those, those disciplines that, that we can do in our life, that way of escape is the Holy Spirit taking the Spirit of God, taking the Word of God, and working in the hearts of the people of God so that they can then live that Christ-exalting life to the glory of God. Amen? That's how we do it. Can't do it on our own. I have no strength in me to, to say no to anything. I need the Spirit of God working in me. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In closing, I'm just going to read Romans 6, 2 through 4 to you. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That's a rhetorical question. <laughs> we died to sin. If you're saved, if you if you repented of your unbelief, and you're trusting Put all your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of all your sin, any sin. There's no sin out there. Is that good news? Any of you think you've sinned beyond the forgiveness of God? Well, maybe you've thought of it, but you haven't because the forgiveness of God. Paul calls himself chief of sinners, responsible for the death of saints, and yet totally forgiven. Wow, that's, that's just absolutely amazing. 
died to sin? How can we live it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, that is our salvation, were baptized into his death? The old Ed is gone. My wife goes, praise God. (laughs) The new Ed has come. Old things are gone. New has come only through Christ. Only through Christ. Right? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Nor that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You live a new life, John? Yeah, I know you are. Praise God. What about you, Frank? Yeah? Your pastor buddy over there, I've known him for years. I know his testimony. Saved, became a pastor. Yeah. New life. Peter. Peter was baptized. How old were you when you were baptized? 70? 76. 76. Down at Northville with us, baptism service. New life. New life. We may have a new life. So if you're trusting in Christ alone, his work on the cross, his resurrection, having been born again by the Spirit of God, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, you are united with Christ. When he died, you died. Got news for you. When he was raised, you were raised. And guess what? You stand in the righteousness of Christ in front of the Father right now. Yeah, Billy, that's amazing, isn't it? You stand in the righteousness of Christ. When the Father looks at you, he sees Christ. He sees his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness. This dirty rascal standing in front of you is clothed in the the righteousness of Christ. And you can be too. And it's a new life. So, let us then live like who we are and not who we were. Let us get those legs running. Flee from immorality. Flee from idolatry. Run. Run for your life as believers. Remember, Israel, remember what they did. Remember the discipline of God on Israel. Remember, he didn't fool around when they got involved in sin. When there was sin in the camp, many people paid. So you never sin alone. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay, and affect many others along the way. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Thank you. Thank you for the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can sit here and I can stand here and through faith in Christ alone, his death, burial, and resurrection for the payment of our sin, giving us that new life, our justification. Lord, we can have this new life and we can live and we receive your Holy Spirit and we can live in the power of your Spirit. And you give us that power that we can Stand under temptation, but not give in to it, because you give us always a way of escape. Father, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the the command that we need to flee. So many times we think, oh, well, I'll just sit here and you'll do everything, and yet there are many commands for us to do. We know we can do nothing for our salvation, but we also know that you command the believer to do many things. One of them is to flee idolatry. Flee immorality. So, Father, I pray for us this morning. May we search our hearts. 
I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who thinks maybe they, they, they sin their way past you. Oh, no, no, Lord. That death, that substitutionary death of Christ on the cross paid it all. As we come to him in faith, we are washed clean by the blood of Christ. We are given new life. We are given his righteousness. We are united with Christ. What a blessing. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that right now in their heart, they would just come to you and say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm just going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. Save me right now. And, Lord, for those of us who are believers, Lord, may we live like who we are, not like who we were. May we never run back to those things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.